look at that. That's favor. I mean, you know what? That we that's isn't it awesome that Lord positions us for favor. I mean, that's that's awesome. Yes, Andy. Needs the sickness is still moving. I know that Jane had been sick. Yeah, well, we hate that. We'll pray for her that she'll be touched. Who else? Yes. Sick? Or oh. Yeah. So the spiritualism and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be teaching on Wednesday night on um, dealing with the demonic. And, I, and I'm gonna, it's going to touch on some of the stuff like that, what people call, you know, good witches and white magic. You know what I mean? There's no such thing, no, but that's, you know, you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's in my Wednesday night, our sword of authority, and we're going to be de- dealing, with, dealing with the demonic. I don't know everything about the demonic, you know. Who does? But I know what I've learned, and I know what's in the Bible. So, yes. Yes, yes, we will. Recoveries. Yeah, Mike. Rod Murphy's brother. Okay. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah, we're going to be talking. That's Wednesday night. Remember we talking about Mark 9, the little boy who was demon-possessed, and the man, the father brought him. Yeah. So, I mean, it's going to be, you know, because this is a real thing right now. I, I was just, before we pray, I, w- I just, when I start studying, then all kinds of stuff come up. You know, whenever you start searching things on, like, YouTube, your feed just turns into, you know, <laughs> the algorithms, you know. <laughs> and so um, one thing came up about um, Taylor Swift and how, it took her from it took her from where she started as a little you know sweet little teeny bopper 16 year old you know the reason for the teardrops on my guitar kind of a you know things and now all the way to where she's basically her videos she's dressed up as a witch and doing and performing spells and there's all of this weird things that these people who are going to her concerts are coming out and they're repeatedly saying that they have amnesia when they come out they can't remember her concerts and so the question is, is there, is there some sort of witchcraft going on? You know? Yeah. So it's just, a, it's just a funny thing. It's just very, we used to hide, you know, used to, we used to have to back mask song. Remember the 80s back masking, playing song backwards to get messed? Now we just, it's just, uh, it's, we, don't, we don't hide it anymore. <laughs> Nothing's hidden, you know. You've got all this. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what, yeah. The last, the last lady that I, um, that we cast a spirit out of at a women's conference, right, Mike? She would say, she knew the word. This woman knew the word, and she would go. She would sit back, and we would cast a spirit out, and she would come back, and she'd sit down, and she would go. I still feel it. It's right here in my head. Yeah, feel it like something in my head. Anyway, so you know, not to scare anybody. 
but it's just, it's just a reality. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. God, we thank you, Lord God, that you have not left us in the dark regarding spiritual things. We thank you, Lord God, that you've not left us in the dark regarding spiritual power. Lord, that you have called your church, God, to be a force on the earth that binds and that looses, Lord, the kingdom all around us. And I just pray right now for those who need healing in their body, Lord God, we bind sickness in the name of Jesus. And we ask that you would move into these circumstances and situations, that you would bring comfort in their body. And God, most of all, those who don't know you, those ones who are sick and they don't know you, Lord, that this, that a healing touch will just open the door, God, for salvation because healing is temporary, Lord. Salvation is eternal. I pray, Lord God, that you would restore relationships. I pr- Lord, I, right now I just feel relationships are broken. Relationships in this room are broken, and I just ask for a restoration of relationship. That you would begin to open doors with family members. That you would begin to bring about the circumstances that would foster reconciliation. God, because you have given us the ministry of reconciliation. And I just ask that you would release that. I thank you for that now in the name of Jesus. I pray that you would open our ears to hear, God, our heart to receive. God, anoint me to speak your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, let's go to Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Yes? Yes. Oh, praise the Lord. So you're going to be not alone. That's awesome. Praise the Lord for that. We are thankful for that. First Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. We've gone over it several times, but by way of just starting, a starting point. May the God of peace, what kind of God is he? The Prince of Peace. He's the God of peace. The God of peace. I think so many times we forget that, that he's a God of peace. He brings peace into your circumstance. He brings peace into your life. I think so much of the world is plagued with anxiety and fear and depression and just torment. He's the God of peace. If we don't have peace reigning in our life, then we haven't invited God into the circumstance. Because when he comes in, he can only bring in what he is. He's the God of peace. May the God of peace sanctify you. That means separate you. Separate you. Set you apart for holy use. May the God of peace sanctify you wholly or entirely. And may your spirit soul and body be kept blameless or sound until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who called you is faithful and he will do it. Okay, as I start, how many of you can tell me, based on what I taught in the last, when we were here, how is all of the world categorized right now? Believers and non-believers, okay. They are in two type of people. Well, okay, Mike, back there. What is it? Everybody, believers and non-believers. So everybody is categorized either in the first Adam, non-believers, or an Adam, a second Adam, Christ, believers. Now, I have observed in the church, in the world, world culture. 
that there is a third category that has been made. The third category from believers and non-believers is this subcategory of believers. We try to make it a subcategory of believers. Those who are saved in Christ but just non-fruit bearing. Well, it may or may not, right? So we try to say, well, they're just, they're just not fruit bearing. I think that to the degree that a person is non-fruit bearing, I mean, I know, Hank, you're a gardener. You probably know something about orchards too. That trees, bear, because they bear fruit, what determines what fruit a, a tree bears? <laughs> right? It's a seed. It's not anything magical. The seed you put in the ground is the fruit that it bears. Everything reproduces after its own kind. So if you have a tree that is non-fruit bearing and it's supposed to bear fruit, if you are a person who gardens, what are you going to do? Well, it might be a weed, but you know, you know could, that's right, it could be. It might be, but what, as a gardener, what are you going to do? What would you do, Hank, as a gardener? There you go. You're going to give it a moment, aren't you? Because you know what it's supposed to be. Is that true? So you're going to fertilize it. You're going to try. See, that's, there's a parable about that, isn't there? There's the man who, who, put the, who put the vine in the vineyard. And it wasn't bare. He came back to look, and there was no fruit. There was no grapes on the vine. And so he was like, I'm going to, let's pull it up. And the, the person who was in charge of the vineyard said, Wait just a second. Let me dung it. Fertilize it. Let me put some manure on it. Let me get the let me get the manure on it and let me see if I can get that in and feed it and let me see if I can bring it to fruit bearing status. And if I can't, then we pull it. I mean, and that's just the reality. There's no there's no place where we can be in the body of Christ and be just perpetually non-fruit bearing. It doesn't make a lick of sense. I mean, it's just not. And so it behooves us then to be looking at our life for fruit. And it also, when it talks about dunging the tree or putting manure around it. See, many times I think in, in, in the Christian life is the manure the Lord uses is the conflict that would bring about the fruit. You know what I mean by that? Like, Let's say, let's say you need, you, there's no fruit in your life. There's the, the fruit of love is not there. Because really all the other fruits just come off of love. There's no love in your life. So then the Lord, you would think, you would think he would put just a whole bunch of loving people around you. He just puts a lot of poop around you. Just a lot of poop. In order to, because what he's trying to do is bring you to love. Love, because love only counts when it's not, yeah. Love, right, love only counts when it's 
when it's undesired and when it's challenged, it, I mean, who, you know, everybody loves people who love them. That's not real fruit of love, is it? That's just everybody doing. But when you come across that person, they're the most, un, you ask the Lord, Lord, put love in my life. And he brings you the most unloving people around you. What's he doing? He's dunging you. He's bringing you the manure. So that the fruit of love comes forth. I mean, let's say, you, Lord, I need peace. <laughs> conflict, conflict, conflict. Yeah. You don't have to pray for it. It's going to come anyway, right? You know? <laughs> because... He is the vine dresser. He's the vineyard owner. And he has a right to expect fruit. He has a right to it. So that's where we're all at. And so as we look at this and we see that, that the Lord, he wants to sanctify us wholly in our spirit, our soul and body, that we may be kept blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus. The one who called you is faithful, he will do it. So we're all under either Adam or we're in, in Christ. That's just where we're at. And if we're in a place in Christ and we're not particularly fruit-bearing, then he's working with us to bring us to fruit-bearing. And if he can't get us to fruit-bearing... Then, I mean, how many of y'all remember when we read Romans 11 and we talked about we consider the kindness and the, what's the next word? The kindness and the blank of God. We consider the kindness and the severity of God. We don't talk about that scripture much, do we? It's scary. <laughs> no, it's scary. I don't like it, so I don't talk about it. <laughs> So, but, you know, that's the balance in the word is that, that we, it comes down to this, is that if we fear the right things, if we fear the right things, then we don't have to worry about fearing the wrong things. That the right fear takes care of things. And I've told the example so many times that my mother was afraid of scorpions. I mean, a lot of people are afraid of scorpions, right? Wouldn't want to be around them. Some people, she just hated, really afraid of scorpions. And so um, we had a seller that was on the property, a storm shelter that was on the property just across the road from us. We didn't own the property. It was abandoned, and we, had, we could go use that storm shelter. But it was old from an old homestead that was there and had been, you know, years gone. And um, it was still dry, though. You know, so that's really good. That's a well-built storm shelter. It was dry. Had a door and everything on it, so it was functioning. And so... We didn't keep it cleaned out. It was just what it was, whatever it looked like from, you know, back in the 50s when it was probably last used was how it looked. And there were usually scorpions in the cellar, just hung out there. My mother was like, I will never get in that storm shelter. <laughs> never, never. So one day, the perfect storm arose. I came home from school, <clears throat> and I was out. My dad said, hey, Andrew, come out here on the porch. Now, I was particularly afraid of tornadoes at this time in my life. Now, you, a tornado doesn't bother me at all. So I, I stood on the porch. He said, come out here. And I said, what? And I walked outside, and in the horizon, it was just like, it was, it was orange, and it was green, and it was all this. And I said, what is that? He said, probably, he named a town that was nearby, Midway. He said, I think Midway just got blown away by a tornado. He said, and that's the dirt in the air. I was like, 
what? You know, and then he said, you hear that? And I went, and I looked at, we lived on the train tracks, and I looked at the train tracks, and there was no train. So I could hear a, I was, I'm gone. At this point, I am like, there's a tornado. I'm running across the road. I'm crawling over the barbed wire fence. I am jerking the door open on the store. I don't have a, I don't have a light. I have nothing. I'm like, me and the scorpions, door shut. Dark, total darkness. It didn't matter to me, not one tiny bit. Then pretty soon, I mean, just a few minutes later, my dad, I hear, he's not, he's opening that door, and he's in there with me, and we're like, and he's, he, I think he might have brought a flashlight. That was the delay. So then my, I said, where's mom? Where's my mom? She, he said, she's not coming over here. She's afraid of scorpions. Then rain starts. And then pretty soon, through the sound of the driving rain, we hear somebody banging on the door. Open it. My mother is now in the storm shelter. See, when you get your fears right, see, when you start being afraid of the right thing, you stop being afraid of the wrong things. You know, so the Bible says this, don't fear the one who can destroy the body only. Who's the one who can destroy the body only? Satan and man. man can, Satan can use men. Men can destroy the body, right? We see that all the time. Don't be afraid of the one who can destroy the body only. But be afraid of the one who can destroy both the body and the soul in hell. Who's that? That's God. So see, if you get your fears right, that's who I fear. So every other subordinate fear, every other potential fear just seems, you're just going to have to take a number. It's not that I'm not aware of other fears. It's not that I particularly like scorpions. It's not that my mother was not afraid of scorpions. But in that moment, see, there was a greater thing to fear, and there was a lesser fear. And her action was driven by what she feared the most. See, that's how we live in the fear of the Lord. Now, it's not entirely a great, it's not entirely a great comparison, but I think it gets the point because, see, being afraid of God should not bring us terror. It's reverence and awe. Where I was just, I'm just lining up two natural fears there, a terror of this or a terror of that. But the reality is, is if we don't have the right awe and reverential fear of the Lord. He's, it's coming to a terror of the Lord. What? To, to amend your behavior around it. Right. And so sometimes dealing with these kind of fears, it's a little bit difficult because we don't think of fear in a positive light. But if fear orders your life in a way of awe and reverence, then it, it'll start lining up other fears in our life. So in, that brings us to making God a priority, making him a priority. And what is, according to, I think it's John 4, what is God? God is a spirit. God is a, what does that mean to say God is a spirit? God is a spirit, and they that worship him, 
must worship him in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. That's John 4. It's the conversation with the woman at the well. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. What does that mean to say God is a spirit? What does that mean to you? You don't see him. A spirit essentially is. There you go. A non-tangible entity. Bodily. Not tangible through our five senses, right? So if we're going to connect to God, who is a spirit, what are we going to need to connect to a spirit? We're going to need a spirit. Now, man is spirit, soul, and body. Now, when man sinned in the garden, the first Adam, when he sinned, what happened? What died? That was the promise. In the day you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. He died spiritually. So did it mean that man no longer had a spiritual capacity? He still has a spirit, soul, and body. He didn't turn into a two-part being, did he? He still has a spirit, soul, and body, but dead in a even a medical sense. The definition of dead is ceasing to communicate with one's environment. Dead. So if you're spiritually dead, you have stopped communicating to the environment of the spirit where God is. Now, many people, see, they still have a spirit, right? And so now, sometimes people want to connect to a spirit realm in crystals. That's spirit, but not so much truth. So that a lot of people are still spiritually hungry, right? They're still craving spiritual things because it's like they've got this void in their life that they're, they're made for a spiritual connection, and they crave a spiritual connection. Every civilization, no matter where you go, will worship. They'll worship some way or something. Yes. Yes. She didn't want to surrender. So there's the call. The Holy Spirit is calling. Spirit calling to spirit. But the toll is total self-denial, the death of self. And see, that's where it gets troublesome for people they want a version a third road a third version where I can I don't want the inconvenience of going to hell I don't want to the inconvenience of eternal punishment that's really a bummer right but I'm wondering if I could have something where I can still do what I want to do 
I can still govern myself according to my likes and my dislikes, my comforts, my preferences, and my own ambitions, and not have to worry about eternal separation. Because that's the part I don't want is the internal separation. But see, there's nowhere. I can't, I've scoured the Bible. I've scoured it. I can't find anywhere where that third way exists. So that tells me, and I, I mean, I struggle with this. I'm like, but okay, but there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people who have said the prayer. They've said the prayer. Well, they, did they mean it if there was no change? They meant it. So let me ask you this. So wait, wait, wait. What? No. There's no fruit. Okay, let me say it like this. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Every funeral I go to, they're saved. So everybody's saved when I go to a funeral. It didn't matter how they live. They could have been a drug addict, strung out on crack, dying in a car wreck. But somewhere they say, they love the Lord. No, they didn't. They didn't obey. The biblical standard of obedience is if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We've got to quit peddling this manure and not the good kind that brings fruit. This is the bad kind that's killing people right and left. Never lived it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Was he, what kind of fruit was he bearing? Now, see, this is hard. Now, why? You're like, you're, I know, I know some of you are like, well, why do we do this then? It's for the comfort of the people who are there because who wants to deal with the reality that their loved one is perishing forever? So in some cathartic way, because we, we confuse, we confuse human compassion with godly compassion. We say, it's okay, you'll, they're with the Lord. And then he's like, but I don't think it's true. Oh, that we deceive ourselves. I mean, I have heard Mike do funerals. I mean, I've watched him. I've watched him. He buried my nephew, my nephew, my cousin, who died in alcohol poisoning. Right, Mike? He was on his way, almost had his law degree finished. Went to a bar. And they dared him to drink every drink in the place. And he did it. And he went home, and he passed out on his back, and he vomited, and he drowned in his own vomit. And we didn't, they didn't go to church. So you always do what you do. You call, we got a preacher in our family. And that was Mike. Did you preach him into heaven, Mike? No. He didn't. I listened to him do a preacher, just a sermon, a funeral, not too long from here. And the person who died had absolutely no, he just died in a car wreck. No, he wasn't saved. He, I mean, 
for all intents and purposes, for what he gave us to go by. That's what I'll say. He wasn't saved. What did Mike get up and do? He stood up behind the, the pulpit and he said, I've only met this man one time in my life. I met him at a funeral where I gave an altar call and I told them that the people at this, at this place need to get right with the Lord. I never saw him again. He said, I have no reason to believe that he ever got right with the Lord. Is that what you said? He said, he said so it's my duty and obligation as you are here, and this may be my only time to talk to you, that you need to get right with the Lord. Then they must be, then I must be fine. So y'all all, I think we've all agree here we see the problem, right? We all agree we see the problem, and the problem needs to be addressed not just from the pulpits, from, from the pews as well. Because it needs to be addressed in our own life, and it needs... No, gosh. <laughs> Brian said, you mean we can't just blame the preacher? <laughs> We're all culpable. Why would we want to? Why would you want? Why do we give false hope to our children? Because we. So I'm not saying I have I have good answers for how to address this. I'm not saying that. As you can see, yes, ma'am. And that's a certainly, certainly a possibility. Absolute. That's where I stand with my dad. When I, whenever um, my dad died, he died. He got up on a, on a morning and died of a heart attack. Dropped dead in the floor. Gone. He wasn't living a life that I would say was foolproof. But had he known the Lord in the past with absolute certainty? Yes. And was he living it? Yes, at one time. I knew that as well, too. So I wrote the sermon for Mike, one and only time I've ever done it. This is what I want you to preach at my daddy's funeral, because there again, he's the preacher of the family. From John, I go to prepare a place, but you know where I'm going. You know the way to where I'm going. I go to prepare a place for you. The, the title of the message was, he, my dad's name was Jack, Jack knew the way. He knew the way. Was, did he, did he have, I didn't see him days before. Did the Lord deal with him days before? Moments before. He, all of his life that there was, he was raised Church of Christ, the pastor in the Church of Christ had an affair with a woman in the church. He was totally turned off to God. Left the church, 
never went back, decided all Christians were false and it was blah, blah, blah. He got into, he was into masonry, very heaven, is it called Masonic, you know, the Masonic Lodge. He got into that really heavily. Um, just, just, you know, just basically hated preachers especially. So when he married my mother and we turned up to be preachers, he was a little antagonistic toward us. But he, we won him over. He decided he liked us, you know. But um, when he died, he had a do not resuscitate on him. He was in the hospital. They were just, it was just a minor something. No reason to think he was going to die. <clears throat> he had a do not resuscitate on. You know how people just say, I don't want to be resuscitated. Well, he just out of nowhere went into cardiac arrest and died. They made a mistake and they resuscitated him. They brought him back by mistake. He came back totally, thought he was actually going to, I mean, they were like, it was just a weird thing. You know, we don't know. You're fine. And his, his son-in-law, who was also a preacher, see, the mercy of God, two son-in-laws, both, I mean, he's just like stacking them around him. He comes in and he's like, Pop, man, you nearly, and he didn't really care for his son, other son-in-law either. You were just really, you nearly died. I mean, you were, that was, that was a close call. He said, what do you think about that? He said, seems I've been wrong. And he said, I've, I've made my peace with God. He le- they, they talked, they were like, wow, that's amazing. He's like, that's great. His son-in-law left the room. And Gary was dead 15 minutes later. That's mercy. That's the thief on the cross. Dying for your crimes and then in the last moment say, remember me when you're in paradise. So I'm not saying, in what I'm saying here, don't hear that God is sitting up there just wishing that he just wants to jerk people up, that he wants people to die and go to hell, that he, he's like, I don't, I don't care if they're saved or not. See, we look at him through a human lens, and that's that, what Mike always says when, when we, we were like in our sin, it's like before sin, it's like we're going to be like God. That was the ask. That was the reach. We're going to be like God, but instead we got God is like us. What, do I, what does he mean when he says that? We start framing God through our human perspective. God is, you know, he's like, he's just, he's, we, we see him as not being kind because ultimately we're not kind. We see him as not being long-suffering because we're not long-suffering. Because we're the fallen ones. He's not. But in our fallen state, our minds are distorted because our spirits have been cut off from the life of God. And the further humanity got from the life of God, the worse he got. And any society that's cut off, it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And so as we look at this, we have to be born of spirit. Your kids are not just because you love them does not mean they're going to heaven when they die. Because they have to be born of spirit. And anyone who is born of spirit lives their life under the control of the spirit. 
That's what Ephesians means. Do not be drunk with wine. Do not be in the control of wine. But be filled in the control of the Spirit. A life that's born of Spirit is controlled by the Spirit. <clears throat> that's just it. We don't teach this stuff a lot. I know because we, you know why? You know why it's not taught through the church? I think we teach it quite a bit here. I just think it's not taught far and wide because there are whole denominations that never even mention the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's like the forgotten of the Godhead. We don't even, it, it's kooky, so we don't talk about it. You know, we, we got Father, we got Son, we got Holy Spirit. Shenanigans, <laughs> That's what Tim thought whenever he saw the first Pentecostal service he was in. He was like, this is all shenanigans until the shenanigans got a hold of him. And the shenanigans changed his life. <laughs> the shenanigans delivered him from PTSD, right? I mean, that's, that's the shenanigans we need. I mean, so you just can't, you know, the proof is in the pudding. And you're our pudding. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. That's the reality of it. And so we have to be born again. Let's look at Romans 8, 4 through 9. Eight, Romans 8, 4 through 9. He did this, speaking of Christ, so that the just requirement of the law could be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow what who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the spirit so when you have someone who comes to you and they say well i i said the prayer i love i love the lord i love the lord well it's funny you should say that because romans 4 says that those who are fully in complete relationship with the Lord no longer follow their sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Romans 8, 4. Yeah, Romans 8, 4. Now let's go on to 5. Those who are dominated or in control, controlled by the sinful nature, think about sinful things. They think about it. They plot sinful things. They plan sinful things. They imagine th sinful things. And then if you plot and plan and imagine, what do you? what's next? You do sinful things, which you think about sinful things, and you plot sinful, and you just keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on. So those who are dominated by the sinful nature, dominated. Now, does that mean that once you're saved that you never struggle with sin anymore? You never have a sin? Of course not. Of course not. Because you still live in a, in a body that has been, until the time you got saved, completely controlled by sin. And you, just like you know those pathways. Those are easy pathways for you to take. So there's, this, there's a sanctifying process. There's a separating process. There's a discipleship process. So those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Lord, how may I please you? What would I do today that would please you? What are we doing today? I love a story. Watchman Nee, he's one of my favorite authors. He was a Chinese man, and he lived before, in China before communism took over China. 
So in the 40s, he was born in the 20s, somewhere around there. And he ultimately died as a martyr in a communist um, re-education camp in, in China. Re-education just meaning we're gonna, you're going to get that Christian out of you and turn you into a communist. And so um, <clears throat> he was teaching his followers about being led of the Spirit and being the life, what he calls it. It's called normal Christianity. If you want a great read, I, I, if you like to read, Normal Christianity by Watchman Nee is one of the greatest books I've ever read. So he, he, one of his followers was on a, a train. And as he was on the train, a man came to him and said, hey, we're playing a game of cards. We're talking about being controlled by the Spirit. We're, we're playing a game of cards. And at this time in the world, cards were a very... I mean, how many of y'all, I don't know, I, I, cards were like a no-no in the church. It was considered to be something that was super, you know, like, it was, yeah, it was considered gambling. Any kind of card, you know, I, you know, it was, so that's in this time. This is in this cultural environment. Now, so he was playing cards, at, and they were, they were gambling in this situation. And he said, we need another person, a fourth person for our card game you want to play. He said, well, I might like to very much. He said, but you see, these are not my hands. And the guy said, what? He said, yeah, these hands don't belong to me. He said, they belong to another. So I ought not hold things. I can't, because they belong to another, I have to ask him how he would like me to use my hands. So see, that's just a little example of a mindset of being controlled by the Spirit. Well, these are, these are my hands. These hands are attached to my body. They just don't belong to me. They belong to him. See, that's a gr- I just thought that was a great illustration to it's control. But those who are controlled by the Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. How many times have you seen that played out? Letting your sinful nature control your mind, it leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to peace and life. For the sinful nature is always hostile. How is it? The sinful nature is always hostile hostile. How often is it hostile toward God? It's always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. And Paul ought to know because he tried to obey God's laws with the sinful nature and he never could do it. That's what Romans 7 is about. So that's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. He's talking to, that's his his readers. He's assuming, y'all are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. When are you controlled by the Spirit? When the Spirit of God is in you. So, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? You know what I mean? It's It's like, so, if... I want to be under the control of the Spirit. Is it something I have to do? Well, sort of. I mean, but doing is not the first thing, is it? It's receiving the Spirit. Well, how do I receive the Spirit? Oh, oh, that's easy. You've got to die to yourself and surrender your life. Well, how do I do that? Well, you receive Christ. So I say the prayer. You could say the prayer. It's as easy as that. 
But it doesn't necessarily mean just because you said the prayer, you've done all the other. Well, how will I know if I say the prayer, if I've done the other? Well, when you say the prayer and you've actually, it's the prayer of faith and you've received the Spirit, you'll know. Because all of a sudden, what will happen in my life? Well, let's put it this way. You'll be ruined to be the kind of sinner you once were. I mean, how many of you, I know, I'm just asking perfect people. How many of you, after you were born of the Spirit, tried to go off and just do some sinning? I have, right? You've done, how did, how did you, were you good, at, Hank, were you as good at it as you used to be? <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're saying there's a fruit of growth, there's, a, there's fruit growing in your life. It may not be in the perfect mature state yet, right? But there's a growth process. And you don't want to do anything to stop the growth. So see, that's how the life of the Spirit works. I'm not trying to promote here that you're going to be utterly perfect in everything you do. But I'm talking about a des- it's in that desire. It's in the desire of your heart. Now, the reality is this. The Lord loves to challenge us in the areas that we are not fruitful. That's what we were just talking about. And that's why it is so utterly important for people who are born again People who receive the Lord. I think a lot of people are like the first, the second soil condition. They actually receive the seed. It's just that they don't, they're they're so shallow. They kind of, they just, yeah, they just, they only kind of surrender about the first two inches of their soil. They need, they need to dig, they need some more poop, and they need some cultivation, they need some deeper root systems. And the Lord has got this great plan, a great plan in order to accomplish this. See, you're saved, and then he wants you in a local body. Why? Because there's two things that are going to happen in a body. Comfort and conflict. See, there's going to be comfort of the word. There's a lot of comfort that happens in the body. But we have the idea that it's all going to be comfort. No, no. There's also God stages the conflicts between you and you. Because he's leveraging, not really, right, you know. He lever. look at him, he's getting, he's getting angry. He's like, how do you <laughs> So he could, be, he could be leveraging some area of fruitlessness in you and revealing it over here. But see, he's got this overarching government going on. <clears throat> of you both know because you're in the spirit government, I don't get to be right, and I don't get to be right. But I don't like him, and I don't like him. So what am I left with? We're going to have to forgive one another and both see how wrong we both are. And what I've just done, because I'm the spirit, because I get to be the spirit in this, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I always get to be the one that's right. That I've just developed, the spirit then through the conflict has just developed Forgiveness, peace, just develop love. You see what I mean by that? So see, that's why, that's why 
the Lord wants us in a body. People are like, I don't have to be saved. I don't have to be, go to church to be saved. Well, no, because going to church is not what saves you. I want to say moron, but I'm trying to quit saying moron so much. <laughs> so going to church is not what saves you. But just like, just like going to you know, the incubator, the, the, the nursery at the hospital is not what made you born. Born, born. It's, it's, that's, the, that's the place you go now for the, the growth process. That's, that's what we do. So when you, that's why the Bible says in, in Hebrews, don't forsake the assembling of yourself together with those of like faith. Even more as you see that day approaching, the day of his coming approaching. We have to be in a body context. Here's another thing. You need to practice. What do I need to practice? You need to practice serving someone other than yourself. Because until when, when you were born again, the only person you knew how to serve was yourself. That's why marriages fail today. We love weddings. We hate marriages. You know what I mean? We love weddings. I mean, they'll spend, I mean, average wedding costs, I think, somewhere like $55,000. We love weddings. I know, isn't that crazy? We hate marriages. It's not about a wedding. It's about a marriage. And a marriage is one submitting to the other. And so the Lord loves to use the order structure to test our lives. He loves to have he loves to have us submitting to one another. And so he wants us in the body. So you say, well, I just go into church. That's not really going to do it. See, you just showing up on Sunday, and I really never even learn your name. I mean, I know his name now because he did more than just show up. Right? I mean, he showed up, and he showed out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, you know, you show up, and then you actually step up. And never show. Gosh, Brian. <laughs> so what we have here, see, and we love Brian because we, we know Brian. See, and I want, that's, what, that's what the body of Christ is supposed to be. It's supposed to be people coming and sharing life with one another. And then in that situation that we're working the, the rough edges off of one another. We, yeah. Right, and then we also, it, that does, that we grow experientially off of their victories. We hear, we learn, but then we also grow, we grow deep in the conflict. See, I think, you know, how many people do you know that have ever left a church because they got in conflict with someone? But see, did they not know that that was probably the greatest opportunity for growth? Yes, they was like, and, I, and then they then you see that person, and they, they never actually have a growth trajectory in their life. They just get a withering, a withering trajectory. They're not developing those things because we have to serve. The greatest place for us to practice serving is in a body. Because I'm not here for me, I'm here for you, and you're not here for you. You're here for me. And you're not here for you, you're here for, and, and, and is it right? 
that's better be. He better be here for me. So that's how that's how it works, and we grow. And see, that's developing our spiritual aptitude. See, sp- developing your spiritual aptitude is not how well you speak in tongues. So I want you to speak in tongues. I want you to prophesy. I want you to be used in the gifts of the Spirit. I want all of those things, and I want them in the most surpassing way. But see, if we don't talk about this other thing, how our interpersonal relationships and how, because that talks about our integrity, how strong and deep we really are. You take a person who's shallow integrally, and then you use, see, they're gifting, and then they have like, they're using some spiritual gifting. What, all, what does that always look like at the end of the day? A shine on a turd. I like it. A man after my own heart. Language I understand. You can't polish it. You might get it from a... (laughs) Right, and so we have to... We realize that that's what we're all dealing with. And, the, and here's the thing. The spiritual growth is not the same as physical growth. Physical growth is very calendar-oriented. We expect a three-year-old, a four-year-old. This is what spiritual growth is far different than, than um, natural growth. In spiritual growth, you can take a person who was saved, and a month later, they will outgrow a person who's been sitting on a pew. It happens all the time. Because they are, they receive, and their their level of surrender, their level, their degree of coming into agreement with the Word of God, and they're so willing to just be offended and just flop it off. To the point, do you know you can get over the spirit of offense so much that you no longer you forget how to be offended? That's what I. If I could get all of y'all to that place and myself. I try all the time to offend y'all just to like, you know, like from a friendly place. Yeah, you know, like, oh, it's all right. Come on. You know, that Because I want you to get used to it. Because so many people are snowflakes. And the world's not going to be nice to you. You know, Jacob said when he went to him and a guy at school, he said they were talking about bullying. Bullying got the really, really big in school, you know, and, and we need some of that. There was some legit bullying going on in school, and that, and that needs to be talked about. And this friend turned to him in school and says, hey, you ever been bullied? I mean, Jacob's six foot four, you know. He said, you ever been bullied? He said, no. He said, me either, that I know of. He said, why is that? Why have we never been bullied? And Jacob said, I think it's because the house I grew up in. I've been so bullied at home that I probably wouldn't notice at school. <laughs> you know, good name, loving bully. You know what I mean? We have to teach our kids. Isn't that, isn't that some value there? Teach your kids to grow a thick skin. Hannah, all the time, she got real, she was a, my jaded child. She's so jaded. So she'd say, well, that's not fair. Why do I have to do that? I said, because you're the middle child and we don't like you as well. She go, oh. she knew it wasn't true, but see, that's just what she. That's that's the messaging there. So I just and so finally, you're just like, that's not true. I gotta quit. I gotta quit processing that way. And so we can learn not to be offended. How do we learn not to be offended? By being offended and sucking it up. 
by being offended and dealing with our offense instead of me. This is the terrible way to deal with offense in the body of Christ or in your home or anywhere in the world. Now, you don't offend people. 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 Don't offend people. Well, all of us may not have. How many of you have ever offended someone you didn't intend to? This is my, this is my lot in life, y'all. So that doesn't work, does it? So my not trying to offend you may still offend you. Has that worked to keep you from being offended? No, because the, the onus, the place, we got to go, the place where offense has to stop is in your heart. And then it won't matter what I do. You won't be able to be offended. And you won't be able to be offended. Because as soon, it's not that they, somebody might not try to offend you. It's not that things offensively won't happen to you. You, as soon as it hits you, you go, ah. They were. It's no big deal. I still love them. And they probably didn't mean it any. They probably didn't mean it anyway. And then if you feel that offense trying to set up in your heart, even though you've gone through that, how many times have you done that? then do the opposite of what you feel. Because what you feel is, I'm kind of offended with them, so I'm going to ignore them. You know what I mean? So what you do, what you do there, because see, they might not even know you're offended with them. What you do there is you're like, I'm going to go up to them. I'm going to show them. But you're not showing them, you're showing you. Show you. So this is how we are developing a spiritual culture. This is how we're sanctifying ourselves spirit first. Soul, and this is also going to hit soul and body. Yes, ma'am, as we leave. Were you? Yes. Yes. That's good. Right. And it's trying to sort that out, isn't it, to see what it is. See, that's why it's so important to be born again, because now we have a different operating system. And so if we're, ever, if we're just trying to deal with people on a natural level, we can, it's only topical. Because what's really wrong is they're spiritually separated from God. So we're just still, again to use the euphemism we've had in the, in the room already, polishing a turd. Yeah. You know? 